Jones from Youth Freedom for Youth Ministries. Uh, just, I'm going to take two minutes, and this is not encroaching upon your time. So, um, first of all, um, I want to thank everybody. Jacqueline, you can come on up too. This is Jacqueline Gibson, and she is the uh, volunteer and resource manager. And this is Mark Nelson, and he is the founder and executive director. So, really happy to introduce them to you today. Uh, Jacqueline has been my friend for several years. We met in BSF, and she had this uncanny ability to say exactly the right thing at exactly the right time in my life. And I don't know if you guys have a friend like that, and I don't know why I'm even saying this, because I don't want to share her. <laughs> but she has been somebody who I knew at that time I need this person's influence in my life. And we all have friends like that that we need, and I, I do need her. And I knew her at that time. Uh, she worked at Campfire, and she was helping young women learn very practical skills. And then I knew her when she worked for American Diabetes Association, and she learned how big nonprofits work. And then I watched her as she lost that employment when the housing bubble burst and corporations dried up their funds. And at that same time, her husband also was struggling with employment. And I remember Jacqueline looking at me with tears in her eyes and a smile on her face saying, I have no idea what God is doing. I just know it's going to be good. And I was so impressed by that faith. And I think the, the portion that she has now at Freedom for Youth is an answer to that faith because I can't think of a more perfect job for her. Um, she ministers just in the same fashion to those people there. And so when Jacqueline came to work for Freedom for Youth, I started visiting. And I was brought up in a non-Christian home. And so I saw what was going on there, and I realized the depth of what was happening there, how they're changing people's lives, changing children's lives, and they are the next generation of gospel preachers. And I realized this ministry expresses the gospel as expressed in James 2, where it says um, that we should not only share the gospel, but do the gospel. And they are doing it there. And I was extremely impressed with that. And so I, I am very happy to introduce this ministry to you guys today, and I'm hoping that you'll all take an opportunity to visit, and I'm hoping that you will pray about how you might be able to partner with them to help them to be the hands and feet of Christ in Des Moines. We don't have to go around the world to serve God. We just have to look where he's working and join him in it. And fortunately for us, this ministry is very local. So um, I'm happy, and would you please give a warm welcome to Mark and Jacqueline. Thank you very much. Um, it was uh, 10 years ago that the Lord led me to find this girl that was living under a bridge. Um, she was an 18-year-old runaway from Ohio. Um, she was addicted to methamphetamines. Um, she had grown up in a home full of drugs, violence, chaos, drinking, um, and, and ran away and, and went to Des Moines to live with a cousin. And that lasted for about a week, and then her cousin kicked her out, and, and there she was um, in Des Moines with nowhere to go. Um, there were three guys that were under that bridge sleeping with her. Um, there were empty beer cans. Um, and I came with a box of muffins and a warm smile and just wanted to say hi and get to know them and continue to come back um, day after day and build a relationship. And also then they began to show me some other places where there were others living, um, tents, other bridges. And, um, but w one day this young lady um, who never smiled asked me for a ride um, to Nolan Plaza. And so I gave her a ride. And when she, when she jumped out, I said, I just want you to know that God loves you and that he's got a plan for your life. 
And, and I can tell you that was the first time in two weeks that I saw the girl smile. And I thought, maybe God has just touched her heart. And um, the next time that I caught up with her, there was something different about her. And she began to talk to me and began to share her story and her struggles, how she would curse God for the life that she had. And began to share my faith with her, and my family reached out to her and loved her. Um, began to learn the life of a drug addict, and she'd be gone for three weeks, and then all of a sudden show up again as if everything was okay. Um, after several months of loving on this girl, she, she said to me one day, Mark, I think I'm ready. And I'm like, what do you mean you're ready? She said, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. She said, I never told you this, but the first day you came down under the bridge was the day I was going to kill myself. And for some reason, I didn't. And at that moment, I knew God was doing something special. And this young girl stood up at my church and gave her testimony. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. The Holy Spirit was moving. And, and some of my brothers in Christ said, you need to do something about this. And, and I wasn't looking for it. But, but God spoke to my heart about Freedom for Youth Ministries. Um, freedom coming out of Isaiah 61 where he prophesied, you know, when Jesus picked up the scroll and read that, um, that he, he came to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. And that's what it was. It was freedom for the youth that these kids could be set free. And, and I could go on and on and tell you the stories about how we started in this little building and we had no money and the, the landlord gave me the first month's rent free and, and we got an old van donated and I drove downtown and I picked up homeless kids and I took them to this place and, and um, they were warm and, and people brought in food and um, we would play games and then in the afternoon I would say let's do a Bible study anybody that wants to join me can come and most of them came. By the end of the month, I had 40 kids in there. That first year, I saw 260. And, and I was having so much fun, but never thought about the money. And I went to the post office box one day, and there's a check for $10,000 from somebody I didn't even know. And it was as clear to me as could be God was saying, you just keep doing what you're doing. I got you covered. Ten years later, that promise is still true at Freedom for Youth. We've never borrowed any money. Our operating budget is now about $800,000 a year. We have 13 staff to pay. About 30% of our money is pledged. The rest comes in on our knees, trusting that God will provide because He loves these children so much. And we, are, we have grown. We've got multiple locations. We, have, we are currently ministering to about 300 children a week. By the end of the year, I think we'll be at 600. And it's about calling the church, the one body, to come and to serve. It's not about Jacqueline and I and, and the other staff doing the work. We're just here to, to allow the body to come and serve. And so um, I, I want to close with a, with a short video that just to allow you to see a little bit more about what happens. But last night, I'm just reminded of, of God's goodness. I went to a church service, and we have a, a boys and a girls home now for homeless 18 to 21 year olds and here was this girl who stood up for her baptism and gave her testimony and she told us last night about how she grew up in Jefferson, Iowa about how at age 14 and she was adopted and her parents split up and at age 14 her stepmom started selling her to guys 
And every day she was called ugly. And every day she was told she's worthless. And she had no value. And she would hurt herself. She would do alcoholism, drugs. Yesterday I saw her right before she got baptized saying that that was my old life. And my new life is in Christ Jesus. And I'm a redeemed child of God. Man, I'll never get tired of hearing that and seeing that. And we've seen hundreds of them. And I invite you to come at the table um, afterwards and get information if there's anything that you would like to know more about the ministry. And Jacqueline and I will be here to talk with you. So enjoy the video. Welcome to Freedom for Youth Ministries. God is on the move here of freedom, uniting the Christian community across denominational lines to rescue our distressed and impoverished youth. Our message here at Freedom is simple, that God loves you and he's got a plan for your life. And it is this love that is demonstrated through our many volunteers that empowers our kids to break bondages in their life, to discover their God-given talents, to excel at school, and to pursue their dreams. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform lives, and we see it here every day at Freedom for Youth. Freedom for Youth is a volunteer-driven organization. We take the body of Christ, those who want to serve, those who want to help youth, and put them in connection with the youth themselves. Uh, the four areas that they work in are faith, education, employment, and leadership, the FEEL acronym. The youngest uh, youth that we serve are the elementary. So the Wiz Kids program works with elementary kids. They get a Bible story every time they're at a Freedom for Youth event. They uh, get some playtime to help with socialization, and they uh, get some tutoring, usually in math or uh, reading. The middle school program is called Discovery. It's their opportunity to discover their God-given gifts and talents. They get to sample different things. Um, depending on the location, they may get a chance to do woodworking, uh, welding, pottery, um, sewing, lots of different things that help them develop their skills and be encouraged by the uh, Christian adults in their lives. When they get to high school, it becomes the Journey program and they're more on a path, it's more directed, employment is more important, as well as just their growth uh, to walk closer to the Lord. They may be making decisions about baptism at that point. They may be making other decisions about their, uh, their faith journey, uh, connection with churches, uh, which are important from the beginning, but all those things become more important in the, in the high school program uh, as they're going to graduate, to know that they can go to college if that's for them just to, to be on a path that, that it's a, that's a godly path, path for their lives. Many of the young adults that come into our transitions program often lack basic skills in their life. Um, one of the basic skills that cause them to be at high risk are things like not knowing Jesus Christ. Um, we like to introduce them to Christ. Our hope is, of course, that they will accept Him and be discipled by all the staff and volunteers who serve at Freedom for Youth. Um, our awesome house parents uh, do a great job of discipling them. They do Bible studies in the morning. Um, they involve them in small groups at different churches in the evenings. And during the day, our staff and volunteers are always pouring into them. One of the other areas that we see that um, they often lack is the basic educational skills they need to be successful in today's world. Um, many come to us and they haven't finished their high school diploma. So we immediately start working on either a GED or that high school diploma so that we can help them move on with the next step in their life. Before they graduate from the Transitions Program, we have them participate in a supportive employment program. And in that, they have an opportunity to build work disciplines gain self-esteem, and also understand the biblical principles of submitting to authority. One such supportive employment program is Freedom Blend Coffee. It is our business that's totally run by uh, the young adults. Uh, they get to learn how to roast the coffee, how to package and deliver it, how to sell it. They get to learn customer service skills, which are really valuable. We're hoping that in the very near future we can even take a look at starting our own coffee shop. And that would be for not only the young adults, but for the high schoolers that we work with as well, too, to gain those same skills. 
Um, we also are looking at um, supportive employment training programs that would include welding, construction, and possibly catering. So we're really excited about all the things that are happening at Freedom for Youth and what will be happening in the near future. I hope you were touched by some of that. Um, one thing that I heard too at the beginning was, was how Mark had this passion and he had a, a broken heart uh, for this girl and someone at his church said, you need to do something about that. And, and so that's what we want to say to you too as Cornerstone, that we want to help you walk in the passions that God puts in your heart. And so I, I, I just hope that you stop by the table out there and, um, and just see what's going on more at Freedom for Youth. And, and, and we want to say that to you. If you have a passion that God has put in your heart and a burden for something, we want to help you walk in that and, uh, and, and see that happen in your life. So um, don't be afraid to talk to somebody about that, that passion that's in your heart. Sometimes we feel like we can't, we just don't have the resources to do it. We want to help you and resources, resource you to live those out. I'm going to pray again. And uh, during our next couple songs, the offering is going to come around. God, just thank you for freedom for youth. Thank you that they, um, Mark and Jacqueline came this morning and shared with us the passion um, on, on Mark's heart that turned into a ministry that has helped so many youth. And um, God, that's exciting. We want to see salvation come to hurting people and set them free. Uh, that's what we want to be a part as a church to lead people to Jesus Christ. And so I just pray that uh, we would do that, God, and that we would be moved by you um, and your spirit to live that way. God, we pray that as we give now, we'll do it with joyful hearts, knowing that um, everything is yours. Um, and we want to we wanna bless your kingdom with what we have, what you've given us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship with us. If you have your Bibles, you can go and... Go ahead and open up to uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Been kind of booking through, uh, not so much, the, the book of John, and we are moving on to chapter 4 this week, and, and I think this story in John chapter 4 falls right in line from what we heard this morning. And, and I, was, I was thinking and, and praying and uh, just, just reading through this week, moved by, by we have a God that has sent his son for us, not, not just for the world, but for me. God has sent his son for me. God has sent his son for these two young women uh, that Mark was sharing about. What, what an awesome thing. And this story of, of a woman sitting at a well, a woman who was probably not much different than these two women uh, that Mark was sharing about this morning, that Jesus, that God has loved us so much, and Jesus has loved us and loves us so much, that, that he desires a relationship with us, no matter what our heart condition is that he is seeking and pursuing us because he loves us. And, and so I appreciate you guys being here and sharing that this morning. So we're going to be in John chapter 4 and, and this story of, of Jesus and speaking and talking with this woman at the well. Now, what we need to understand uh, that Jesus is a Jew and, and there's, uh, at the time he's in Judea and he is going to be traveling up to, to Galilee. And so here's a little map of, of kind of the, the trip. So he's He's going to make the, the move up to Galilee there, and, and in it, you have to pass through a region called Samaria. So he's going to be, be heading up to Galilee, and through it, coming through an area called Samaria. Okay, now one thing you need to understand, Jews and Samaritans did not get along, all right? There, there was animosity between the two. They hated each other. Uh, they despised, and so for, for Jesus to even, to even go through the region was kind of unheard of at times. So what they would do, it'd be about a two- or three-day travel up to Galilee, but what most Jews would do is they would actually go around Samaria, and it would turn into a five- or six-day journey up to Galilee. They didn't want to go through Samaria, right? If they went through, there, would be, uh, there, there could be all kinds of trouble. So they avoided it at all costs. Jesus did not. This story, and, and we know that, that kind of a divine intervention, that God had a different plan for this journey. So kind of a little background of what happened. To trace back the history, all right, I like history. Uh, I, I studied history for a while. I, was, I wanted to be a history teacher at one point. My dad throughout my life always told me, those that can't do, teach. I don't know why he kept telling me that. My whole life he's telling me, those that can't do, teach. You know, try something else, try basketball, you know, whatever. So I like history, I enjoyed history, and even in studying this, enjoyed, uh, you know, kind of learning about the history a little bit. 
can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 33, and there, there Jacob has purchased this, this land, all right? Back in Shechem, he's placed uh, and purchased this land. That's where his family's going to be. His family's going to grow. They have built a well there. We're going to hear about that here in a second, but, you know, they've dug a well to, 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 for his family and for his, his herd and things like that. So that has been established. You know, it was somewhere around 1950 B.C. I think Jacob was born around 2006 B.C. And um, so, you, you know, somewhere around 1950 B.C. he's purchased this area and this land. Okay, and shortly from, from there, in about 1400 B.C., if you kind of follow the range, Jacob had a son named Joseph. Joseph sold into slavery. You've heard the story before. They are, he is a slave in Egypt, as is are, are, are all the Israelites, okay? And they are in bondage, enslaved for about 400 years. They're there. Well, Joseph has requested that when they eventually go back to the promised land, that his bones would be buried there. So somewhere around 1400 B.C., Joshua 24, 32 tells us, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem, right? That same place, the same place where that land that Jacob had purchased, that's where his bones were buried, Another thing about this region, um, Mount Gerizim, is, it's believed where this is kind of the, the sacrifice where Abraham had took Isaac up to this mountain. And so this is the region in which we are at, this place between Judea and Galilee called Samaria. And so even the Jews felt that, you know, this was kind of a holy place. Jacob, this was Jacob's land, Jacob's well, Joseph's bones were buried here. They thought upon this mount is that where maybe Abraham had taken Isaac up to be sacrificed. So it's holy land. The Samaritans also believe this to be holy. Part of the history of these is it's kind of started to go sour a little bit. About 720 B.C., you can turn to the book of 2 Kings, and it tells the story in chapter 17, the king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege, siege to it for three years and deported the Israelites to Assyria. So he has taken the Samaritans, or at least a portion of them, out of there. Well, remnant remain. Oftentimes what will happen was when an, an empire comes, they invade and take over a region, they'll deport. You know, we, we shared this story this summer as we're going through, you know, Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah. We heard some of this story, how they were deported, okay? And they have been deported, they've been taken out, but a remnant has kind of remained. What happens is a conquering, uh, conquering empire typically does is they want to basically enforce their own ways, their own religion, their own practices, their own people upon a nation in which they've conquered. And in 2 Kings 24 through 34, we see a little of that. The king of Assyria brought people and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. Each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled. They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods. To this day, they neither worship the Lord nor adhere to his degrees and ordinances. All right, so here's what happened. They've been invaded. They kind of serve the Lord, right? At least that thought, that concept is their mind that they're going to serve the Lord. But then all these other gods begin to intermix. And people begin to intermix. And so no longer Jews, they have their ancestry in there. But this people group kind of developed the Samaritans where there was the Jewish ancestry, but also the Assyrians who had brought people into this region. And so this is where kind of the bad blood had kind of begun. It kind of continued. If you go to uh, uh, about 538 B.C., Cyrus decrees the return of the Jews, and so now some of the Jews are returning. And you see in Ezra, let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the king of of Assyria who brought us here. So here's what happened. They have now returned. They've been brought back into the region, okay? They, the Samaritans that were there, are still there, want to help in this, right? We serve that God. We sacrifice to that God. That's part of our religion. That's part of our belief system. But they come back in and say, we want nothing to do with you. You've intermixed. You've intermingled. Your religions have mixed. You don't serve the one true God. And so again, this, this hatred began to deepen and um, disdain for one another. About 500 B.C., there was a renegade Jew. He went out, he married a Samaritan, and they built their own temple. So the temple was built 
you know, if you can go back through the book of Ezra and you can read about that, but this, there is a Samaritan temple on, on the Mount Gerizim that we just talked about. They went and built this temple there. About 129 BC, the Jewish king at the time invades Samaria and destroys the temple. And this bad blood begin, continues to increase. So this is kind of the backdrop of what's going on here. Jesus, a Jew, leaving Judea, heading up to Galilee, entering through this region of Samaria. There was a hate, there was a disgust, there was an animosity between the two groups. And so Jesus, as he's heading up and he's going there, we need to understand kind of this, this hatred that's going on. It would have been not, probably not much different than our own civil rights movement. All right, there was a group that hated a group, not, not because of anything they've done, but just because of who they were. Unfortunate that that's the case, but this is the case here. Not because this group had, had done anything, although a history of something in this case, but just because they were a people group, they were hated. And so Jesus, most typical Jews would go around, but Jesus goes through this area. And so that's where this story begins, knowing kind of the background of what's going on. It begins in chapter 4. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. All right, so Jesus' disciples are beginning to, uh, to baptize people. There's kind of this little uprising from the Pharisees. Remember we talked about the Pharisees a little bit last week, probably no more than 6,000 at a time, kind of the religious leaders. So they're kind of a little pressure. So Jesus says, all right, let's head up to Galilee. Let's continue ministering in Galilee. So they're leaving to Galilee. As they leave Judea, they're going through this area of Samaria. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus and his disciples heading to Galilee, they come up to this, this well, right? Jacob's well, which we learned about, and we kind of get a little sense of the history. He comes to this well, and it's about the sixth hour. The sixth hour is probably around noon, and so you can imagine in the Middle East, this was probably a very hot time during the day. So Jesus comes to this well, he's very tired. Jesus being fully God, fully man, still his experience is what we would, right? If we're marching in, on, a, on a long journey through the Middle East, we're going to experience. He's probably parched, he's probably tired, and here he comes to this well uh, around noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So here it is, a Samaritan woman coming up about noon, and, and here we begin to get a picture of this woman. See, uh, a well would have probably been much like a coffee shop. You know, people went there to kind of mingle. People went there to meet. People went there to gossip, right? So what would typically happen, though, is that the women of this time would go in the morning when it was still cool. They wouldn't go in the middle of the day. They wouldn't go around noon. They'd go in the morning to get their water. Well, for some reason, this woman is going at noon going in the middle of the day, going in one of the hottest points in the day. There probably wasn't anybody around but Jesus and this woman. And we get a glimpse maybe that indeed this woman may have been rejected by her own people. Even as a Samaritan who were already despised, she may have been despised by her own people. My, my grandpa, my mom's dad, grew up in a small town and in this town, lived in a small town. In this town, they would go to the there was one gas station, really the only place to go in town. So they would go to this gas station every morning, right? And that's where they converge and talk and share the news and the gossip and things of that nature. That's what kind of the well was kind of like. But this woman wasn't really a part of that. So this woman comes to draw water in the middle of the day. She doesn't speak to Jesus, but Jesus speaks to her. Now what we see in this, the, these few verses is we, we see that Jesus doesn't care about his reputation. Jesus doesn't care what somebody's going to think about him. See, in those days, for a man to speak to a woman was really unheard of. Here, in, even in a public place, for, for Jesus to speak to this woman, right then, it would have been thought of, uh, he, he's putting his reputation in a negative light, especially a woman who, as we're going to see, whose sin is very evident, whose ways and whose life 
very against the God of the Bible. Very evident. So Jesus put his reputation on the line. More than that, for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan was really unheard of. For him to carry on a conversation. So he's put his reputation on as a Jew, as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a man speaking to a woman. So we got, so here's this Samaritan woman and this Jewish man. Okay? And so they begin this conversation. And Jesus gives us this picture that it's not about our reputation. It's not about what the world looks and thinks about us. But what does God think? What does God care about a reputation? God cares about holy living. God cares about living a life for him. And so many times, I know this in my own life, I get caught up in my reputation. I care what a world thinks about me instead of living a holy life, instead of pursuing God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. What, what Jesus displays for me here is a life He doesn't care what the world thinks, doesn't care about reputation, but loves and cares for people. That's the God we serve, that he loves and he cares for people. And Jesus, the Son of God, has come into this world for this woman. He has come for the whole world, but he has come for this woman. The story continues on. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So for some reason, Jesus is trying to get them out of there. There's 12 of them. I don't know how many men it takes to go buy a sandwich, but he sends 12 men to go do this task. Probably wants to be by himself a little bit or, or knows this, this story or how it's going to unfold, know this woman is going to be here. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So again, we get this picture that this was very unheard of, that this woman was not expecting for him to have a conversation at all. And he reaches out and asks for, for a drink. Jesus responds, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Here he goes again, right? With Nicodemus, it was talking about being born again, this concept, taking this everyday concept that we understand, all right, birth, whatever, but then to be born again, he threw Nicodemus' world was spinning. His head was spinning. He does the same thing to this woman at the well. Okay, water, yeah, we need water, but he is offering living water. He's offering something more than what's in this well, right? He's offering living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from itself, drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herd? Again, this woman understands has some spiritual basis, has some religious upbringing, um, kind of a, a religious foundation in a sense. She understands Jacob. Hey, this, you, you know Jacob. I know Jacob. We both believe in this same story. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will come up in a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I can give you water where you're never going to be thirsty. I can, you think about this concept of water, that it refreshes, that water, we cannot live, we cannot sustain life without water. And what Jesus is offering her is more than just a simple drink. Jesus is offering her something a whole lot more. Much like he talked about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he talked about this concept of being born again, that he could have a new life a new beginning. He's talking to this woman at the well whose, whose sin and whose life is going to become very evident here in a minute, but he's offering her something more. Here she comes to the well every day by herself, right? Nobody around, just her, her sin, and her life. He says, you, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to live this life anymore. I'm offering you something greater, something greater, this living water. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw my water. He, he told her, Go call your husband and come back. Jesus is pretty good at, at confronting us with our sin. 
He's pretty good at not coming across that he's trying to judge someone, but getting to the heart of the issue. And Jesus knows this woman's heart issue. He knows exactly what this woman worships. He knows what this woman, where she finds her significance, what her life is about, and he brings it. Go get your husband. Now remember that Jesus is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So Jesus knows this, this, this story of this woman. He, he knows the history of this woman. And so to speak to this, he knows what he's telling this woman. He told her, go back, call your husband, and come back. She replies, I have no husband. I have no husband. I love the partial confession, all right? She understands she's kind of been caught. All right, yeah, I have no husband, all right? Can't go back there. We, and I've been like this before, we can be good at, at partial confessions, right? When we're confronted with an issue, oh, yeah, you know what? I did do that. My kids do this all the time. I catch them in something, I did do that. And they'll give you that partial confession. Yeah, whatever. But Jesus knows there's a whole lot more. When somebody begins to confess, it's usually just one thing, right? And then it turns into, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I may have done that. Or, you know, I did this, that. And people begin to open up, begin to tell you a life story. And such it is with this woman. It says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. This woman has found her significance somewhere else, hasn't she? You know, Mark shared the story of that 14-year-old, right, up in Jefferson, whose mom, selling her off, selling her off, never heard words, I love you, but was, was Probably physically, she was physically abused, emotionally abused. And I can imagine this woman, much the same way, that she was used for sex, that she was used for, for the physical. Here she is, five husbands, man she's with now, not her husband. Had probably had very few meaningful conversations with a man in her life. Had probably never, maybe never had a man who really cared for her speak to her as Jesus did, had not experienced that. But how awesome that Jesus came to speak to this woman, that Jesus came for this woman, that Jesus came for this young lady in Jefferson and that young woman under the bridge. This woman probably was not much different than that. Five husbands, the one she's with now, not her husband. Her significance, her meaning, her life was dependent on those things. Jesus knew her. Jesus knew her, her heart condition. Jesus loved her. Didn't matter where she'd been. Didn't matter her sin. Jesus came to love her. Jesus came to die for her. Jesus came to give his life so she could be born again. So she could taste this living water. Jesus has come for us, every single one of us. Yes, he has died for the world. God has given his son so the world may know. But Rich and I were even talking about this this morning, that, that even this week, he, someone, a friend of his, had prayed for their entire life, made a decision to follow Jesus this week. She reminded that, you know what, this is for me. This is for me. This is not just some story. This is not just that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. That smile on that 18-year-old girl, God loves you, right? God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves me. That Jesus has come for you. This is the great story of the Bible. This is the great story of Jesus. Not only did he die for the world, but for you. You as an individual. This woman at the well. If this was all, this would be enough. So he comes. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I like this. You know, she's confronted with her sin, 
and you look at this initially and you think, all right, she's trying to find a way out of this, trying to figure out, okay, I'll, I'll go to church over here, you know, I'll, I'll become a Baptist, I'll become a Methodist, what do I got to do here? You guys, we worship up here on this place, you guys worship in Jerusalem, where am I supposed to worship? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. I think, I think we see her heart, because people would go to the temple to what? They would confess sin at the temple. They would have sacrifices for their sin. She realizes, all right, you know what? My sin is real. My sin needs to be forgiven. My sin needs to have some sort of sacrifice. Some sort of price needs to be paid for what I've done. Jesus has gotten to her heart. Jesus has shown her her sin. Jesus has shown her her need to be saved, her need to be forgiven, her need to be born again, her need for that living water. We, in the same way, when encountered and confronted with sin, we respond one or two ways. We, we first, we, re- either, we either realize a need for Jesus. You think about David when he's confronted with his sin, and all of a sudden, for the first time, he realizes, oh man, I have screwed up. I have made some big-time mistakes. This woman, when confronted, not only with her sin, but in answer to her sin, realizes, you know what? There is a way. There is a person. The living water. It's not about sacrifices. It's not about coming to a church or a temple or whatever. Jesus is going to point her out point that out to her right here. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do, for salvation is from the Jews. He's telling her, all right, you understand. You worship this place, we worship that place, but a time is coming when it's not about where, but it's about who you worship. He tells us that salvation is from the Jews. And see, the Jews had had kind of this wrong mindset. They felt salvation was just for the Jews, right? Just for them. They didn't realize that God had made them a great nation, that they could be a beacon. If you remember, we talked about in the book of of Nehemiah as we're going through it, Jerusalem was to be a beacon to the world and display his greatness and his power, that God had given the Jews and salvation was to be from the Jews, right? Right? not just for the Jews. He continues on, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. I love it. First of all, what do we see? That God seeks us. Don't, don't, don't get your theology wrong here, right? We are not the ones seeking God. Let me tell you this. God is not lost. He's not looking at his compass, wandering around aimlessly. God is not lost. We are the ones that are lost. And God is seeking us. Isn't that awesome? The God of the universe, the God who created this place, the God who created you and me is seeking us. Seeking us has given us his son, just like the woman at the well, Jesus came for her. He has come for us, and he is seeking us. You've seen those great movies, right? That great love story where the man is seeking his bride. I was thinking of the movie The Princess Bride and how Wesley continues to go after, right? Whatever it is, as you wish, he's coming after the bride. This is the story that God has placed in us. Because this is the story of what he's doing for us. He loves his bride, and he is seeking, and he is coming after his bride. Isn't that awesome? That God loves us so much that he is seeking us. He is seeking us. He is seeking that woman at the well. He is seeking this this woman in Jefferson and the woman under the bridge. Because God has loved us so much that he is seeking us. He tells him. All right, God is seeking true worshipers, those that worship in spirit and in truth. Remember he told Nicodemus, must be born again. You must be born of the spirit. This isn't just a physical thing. 
All right? He's telling the woman at the well, it's not about going and make a sacrifice at the temple, but it's about your spirit. You must be born again. You must have a new life. You must drink of this living water. He wants to worship, not, not just with our physical being, but with our spirit, because that is what he's created us. He's created us as eternal beings, right? Eternal spiritual beings. And he wants us in a spiritual sense, in our spiritual life, to seek him. In the same same way, he tells us true worshipers, in spirit and in truth. And what is truth? To understand and deepen our relationship with him, we need to be reading his truth. Jesus himself says, I speak the truth. The very words of Jesus are truth. If I want to know how to worship God, look at what Jesus says. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. I need to look only at his life, his words, to know what truth is. If I'm to be a true worshiper, to worship in spirit and in truth, that's what it looks like. That's what Jesus is telling her. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Wow. He flat out tells her, I am the Messiah. We haven't seen that. Jesus hasn't just come out and told somebody, it's me, I am the Messiah. That's exactly what he does right here. He tells this woman, I am the Messiah. You want that living water? You want to be born again? I have come. That is who I am. What an encounter. What a meeting for this woman. And her life is changed, and we see it. It's very evident. I think one of the most The greatest testimony for the gospel, for the kingdom of God, can be a changed life. And I'm sure you guys have noticed and seen that. That when there is a changed life, man, is there anything greater that speaks to the power of God? To see a life dead, lost in sin, and then alive in God. This woman has changed. She becomes a new creation And much like, you remember with Philip and Nathaniel, Philip encountered Jesus. He knew he found the Messiah. First thing he does, he goes and finds Nathaniel. Nathaniel, you got to see. You got to see I found the Messiah. Matthew, the tax collector, encounters Jesus. The first thing he does, gives up everything, and he throws a big party. Invites all his friends to meet and encounter Jesus. The woman at the well, same thing. What does she do? It tells us, Uh, just then it talks about the disciples returning. We don't have time to go through all that, but the disciples return. It says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything ever did. Could this be the Christ? Going down to verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. How awesome is that? A woman married five times, living with a man now. A woman who is rejected and despised. Her life has changed. She has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. She has tasted the living water, and her life has changed. And she can't help but go tell people about it. This should be our response. We should be like Matthew. We should be like Philip. We should be like this woman at the well. When we have been saved, when we have been given new life, when we have tasted the living water, we can't help but go tell other people about it. That's our mission statement here at Cornerstone, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. When we have been changed because of Jesus, when we have been given new life, abundant life because of Jesus, we shouldn't help but be able to go and tell other people you got to meet this Jesus. you got to meet this guy because he can change your life. And we see that many came to Jesus, both through her testimony and then come and encountering Jesus because she pointed them to Jesus. What an awesome story. A woman whose life is hopeless, is lost, caught in her own sin, but Jesus came for her. Jesus gave her new life, new meaning, chance to start over in him.
What an awesome story of the God we follow, the God we serve, who has come and sought us. Sought us. Not about me seeking him, but that he is coming after me. The band is going to come back up here, and we're going to have an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done. The bread and the juice are going to be up here for us to remember his body that was broken and his blood that was shed for you, for me. So we want to encourage you for a couple things. One, understand that, first of all, that God is seeking you, that God has come after you, that God wants to have a personal relationship with you. It doesn't matter your sin. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Jesus loves you. God has come for you. God is seeking you. We, we also, as Jesus confronted her with her sin, this morning as we think about the bread and the juice, we want to think about our own lives. Think about maybe sin in our life that we maybe need to be confronted with. So I would encourage you and challenge you before you come and take the bread and the juice, you think about what God is challenging you, convicting you in sin in your life. And if there's something that needs to be made right, and I encourage you, find somebody, grab somebody, confess it to him, C- confess it to others. Get this sin right in your life. For, o- for those of us that know and have a relationship with Jesus, he invites us to remember this great thing that he's done, that God is seeking us and he has sought us in the fact that he has given us his son, Jesus, that the message of the cross, that D- Jesus going to the cross, that it was for me, for my sin my shame for all that I've done wrong, Jesus sought me and went to the cross. So if you know him and you understand that relationship, come up and remember him. Worship him for what he has done for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the story of this woman at the well, a a story of really a, a hopeless life, a life looking for meaning, in other things, a life rejected by her own people. But you have loved us and you have sought after us. And the greatest love story known to man is you giving us your son. And so this morning we want to worship him. We want to remember this great thing you've done in his body that was broken, in his death on the cross, but ultimately in his conquering death by, by dying and rising again, conquering death and sin, and hell. God, that that we could be and live eternal life with you. That we could be born again. That we could drink this living water. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.